0: All right. We didn't read all of Genesis 19 this morning, but uh, the chapter has three main segments. There's the visitation of the angels to Sodom and the carnality of the mob. That's the first section. And then there's the destruction of Sodom and lots exodus out of Sodom. That'd be the second. And then there's this kind of uh, post exilic or post exodus sin in the cave. Uh, or in the wilderness, and that's the third section. But what we'll be talking about uh, this morning is that first section, the uh, visitation of the angels and the, the carnality of the mob. So in verses 1 through 3, uh, we see that Lot greets the angels uh, almost identically to the way that Abraham uh, greets the angels. We, uh, there's a comparison here that I think is, is hard to miss. We see that Abraham in the previous chapter he's standing by the door of his tent, and then here we're told that Lot is standing by the door of the city. He's he's at the gate of the city. Uh, Abraham rises to meet the Lord and his angels. Lot rises to meet the Lord, uh, the Lord's angels. Abraham bows down before the Lord. Lot bows down before the Lord's messengers. And by the way, with Abraham, that bowing down before the Lord is the first time we see that kind of worship in the Bible. This Bowing down this prostration, this worship, it's Abraham, Abraham worshiping the Lord. That's uh, that is chapter 18. Uh, well, we see lot doing the same thing with his angels, with the messengers. Abraham offers to wash the feet. He offers his service and his hospitality. Lot does the same thing. He offers his home as a place for them to rest and wash their feet. Abraham makes these men a feast. Lot makes a feast for these men. Peter tells us that Lot is a righteous man, that he has a righteous soul, Uh, and we see that in action here. Uh, Righteous men provide hospitality for the messengers of God. We talked about this last week. Uh, Righteous men uh, create safe havens, sanctuaries for the messengers of God. They serve the messengers of God, Uh, and as we discussed uh, previously, by doing so, you serve God. What does Jesus say? As, as much as you do the least of these, you do to me. He's talking about, he's talking about ministers there. Um, ministers in need, at least, um, or people in need. But I think he's specifically talking about ministers there. Um, and, and Jesus, furthermore, we talked about this last week, when you neglect to do that, it's a salvation issue. <laughs> people who say, well, when did we do this? He says, well... When you didn't do it to my disciples, the ones that I sent out, and they were in prison, or they were in need of a place to stay, or they were they they need clothes, and you turned them away, you didn't do it to me. Therefore, depart from me into everlasting torment. It's weird that we don't consider this a salvation issue, but Jesus seems to. And even if it's not about ministers, it's about people in need in general, which I think we I think we in the West. Uh, as much as people gripe about capitalism, I think we really do care for people in need in general, even though I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about here. But here, Lot's a righteous man, takes these men in, serves them, gives them food, gives them sanctuary. Um, In Genesis 19, the angels initially decline Lot's offer um, to stay with him. Right? They say, we'll just sleep in the open square. But Lot Uh, he's a righteous man, so he judges correctly. uh, This is not a good idea. There's wicked men here. This is not safe to stay here. Um, And he also considered it, I would say, considered it a duty and a privilege to serve these men. So he convinces them to stay with him. Um, Then all of the men of the city surround the house, and they want to have sexual intercourse with uh, the angels. Uh, It's a very... Very perverse. It's perversity to the extreme, this carnality. Uh, You know, bring them out so that we may know them. Uh, Our translation adds the word uh, carnally. That's not in there. But that's what they mean. Uh, And we're all familiar with this story. We know this story. But what we aren't so familiar with is that later in the history of the church, the history of the ancient church of the Jews, uh, in the time of the judges of Israel, the uh, the tribe of Benjamin does the same thing. They do the same thing, except it's even worse, because they not only express this desire in this mob form, but they carry it out. They actually carry out a gang rape and a murder. The Sodomites aren't able to do that. Um, but the Benjamites do at Gibeah. In Judges, in Judges 19, this happens. Uh, and we see this kind of sinful state, this spiritual depravity, recapitulated through the time of the kings with the prophets, constantly comparing Jerusalem and Israel to Sodom. Um, And then we see it, once the new covenant comes around, we see the evangelists and the apostles, they describe Jerusalem as Sodom as well. We see this continually repeated throughout the history of the church. as one who has the spirit of God, I would say we are now in a time that is the same. That the church has spiritually become Sodom. That your local church, the local churches in our country are miniature Sodoms, filled with Sodomites. Um, and I, I don't say this to be uh, hyperbolic or polemical. I just think that uh, those are the facts. Um And here, uh, the sin of Sodom happened actually in history, but spiritually it's recapitulated. So let's take a look at what happens in Judges 19. We see that um, instead of two messengers of God, in Genesis 19, two messengers of God come to Sodom. They're visiting this hostile city. In Judges 19, it's uh, a priest and his concubine and possibly a servant that's with him as well. It's kind of hard to tell if there's three or two uh, because it does mention a servant, but you don't know if the servant is the concubine or somebody separate. But either way, the prominent figures are a Levite and a concubine, and they also arrive at a hostile city. The difference is that in Judges 19, um, they think that they're arriving at a safe city. I suppose the the messengers kind of did a similar thing in, in Genesis 19, but, but in 19, they think it's a good city, a city with the people of God. They specifically choose to stay in Gibeah as opposed to uh, Yevus or uh, what eventually is going to be called Yerushalam, Jerusalem, um, but the Jebusites live there. They're not, they're pagans. They're non-believers. They worship other gods and the Levites like, let's not stay there. Let's stay in gibeah but uh, they go there and um, they're not able to find a place to stay <laughs> nobody brings them in so they don't get the warm welcome that they were expecting from their local church from the opc the acna the the P- the crec uh, you know they didn't get that warm welcome and uh, so they were going to stay in the open Square again. We have the open square. We'll just stay here. And then an, an older Ephraimite man says, eh, "This is not a good idea." He's the lot of the story. He says, "Come and stay with me." And um, so they go, and they he offers uh, hospitality to these this this man of God, this Levite, right, and his concubine. In verses um, four through five of Genesis nine. All the men of the city surround the house and they demand that lot give up the angels so that they can sodomize them. In Judges 19, the church people, the people of God, they do the same thing. They surround the house, they beat on the door, and they demand sodomy with the Levite. Okay, let me stop here and make just a few, uh, some some observations, some non-allegorical observations some more kind of uh, moral, I guess, observations. All right, so one, what what can we learn from this? With respect to Genesis 19, this is the obvious one. Um, It shows us that, well, it shows us less than, uh, that there's less than 10 righteous men in the city. So if you remember Abraham's bargaining with God, so the entire city comes out from young to old, right? So they, but they all come out and they want to gang rape these angels. So there's there's less than 10 righteous people. That's one. Two, this was the obvious one. Shows that sodomy is sinful. It's something that is displeasing to God. Now, nature teaches this. We we all know that it's messed up. Uh, But uh, God's word affirms this later in the Bible. Leviticus 20, if a man lies with a male is with a woman. Both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. For their blood is upon them. Now, in the New Covenant, we don't put people to death, but we do put people outside the camp. We do excommunicate. That's a form of killing them, but they repent, they resurrect, and they come back into uh, the people of God. Um, And Paul says that homosexuals, along with a litany of other people, will not inherit the kingdom in 1 Corinthians 6. So that establishes that kind of moral aspect. Three, uh, it shows us that inhospitality is also sinful. Liberals will, also, will often kind of just say, hey, it wasn't the sodomy that was a problem, it was that they were inhospitable. Well, there's nothing more inhospitable than wanting to gang rape your guest. I mean, that's uh, that. I don't really see how these things are opposed to each other, um, but. Uh, in the prophets do mention other sins in sodom um, that they were arrogant and that they had a lot of wealth but that they didn't take care of the poor liberals love that you know they love beating up the rich Uh, what is the david chilton book uh uh uh, productive christians in an age of guilt manipulators right that's what liberal liberals doing the guilt manipulation thing but, but that is true in, in abund- when people, when we have an abundance of wealth, we are to take care of the poor. So there were other sins there that were happening in Sodom. Uh, Ezekiel talks about this in Ezekiel 16 and then uh, fourth. And uh, lastly, it appears to lend support for um, how we understand Genesis six. When the sons of men came in, uh, sons of God came into the daughters of men. They saw that they were beautiful and there was a, there, there's different ways to interpret that. Um, some people interpret it in this kind of non-supernatural view of it's the, the uh, sons of um, Seth married the daughters of Cain. And so there was, there was intermarrying between believers and non-believers. Um, but the supernatural view and also what I would say is just testified in the pagan world generally and I would would take this to be, and and also in first century Jewish uh, literature, is that there there are some kind of celestial human relationships going on there um, between angels and women. Now, the men of the city wanted to have sex with the men of uh, God who were sent, who were angels, so it seems to, even though it's, it doesn't seem like it's impossible. It seems if they're able to have sodom, sodomy sex, then it seems like heterosexual sex, even though it's still wrong. And later in the New Testament, it does call it kind of going after strange flesh or something like this. Um, it's it's another kind of sin, and it's not even heterosexual. It is weird. But it does seem to indicate that there is something there. Um, but one of you will say, Jesus says that... Uh, in the resurrection will be like the angels in heaven who neither marry or give are given in marriage well yeah that's what they're supposed to do that's their proper dwelling place as jude says but then jude says that those angels at that time left their proper dwelling place and there's some kind of sin that happened i think that's probably probably what it is um okay so uh those are some kind of moral observations but uh Back to kind of this comparison between uh, these two things. In verses 6 through 8, Lot offers his virgin daughters to the sodomite mob. Um, The Ephraimite offers his virgin daughter and the Levite's concubine to the sodomite mob. Now, there's a couple things going on here. This is a sin of Adam. It's a moment uh, of of cowardice uh, for these two, sacrificing their women to the serpent um, and these events, I would say, prefigure uh, the sacrifice of Christ. The Levite represents the law and the Jews, the concubine and the virgins represent Jesus. Uh, the virgins represent his purity and the concubine represents uh, Yahweh's subordinate place among the Jews that he wasn't uh, Given his proper status as a proper spouse, now that is kind of deep, weird stuff. But I would, uh, I think that that's what it means, and, and um, I would welcome criticism or feedback on that. I haven't read that anywhere else, but uh, I think that that's what we're invited to uh, to see here. Um, and the Jews they offer Christ up to save themselves, just like uh, the Ephraim offered the concubine and his virgin daughter to save himself in the Levite. Um, so you see this kind of preservation of self or with the Ephraim, my preservation of the man of God, the Levites. We like our priests more than we like our God. <laughs> um, and that's where we are now. That's the same sin that we're committing now. Uh, our churches are filled with Ephraimite men who will do anything to pr- protect the Levite. And that includes throwing the gospel out, throwing our Lord out to the mob we don't care about that. We say that we care about it, but we throw it out as long as that protects us and protects our pastor, protects our, our, our priest, uh, you, you know, the successors of Peter or you know, your local pastor. I mean, these men are oh, they're so wise and they have so many good insights. Did you read that article from John Piper in Desiring God? Man, I really just want—I want to give everything up and follow Jesus. Except I don't really want to do any of that stuff. I just want to continually do what I do and read blogs that make me, you know, really feel these warm feelings. But but these men—they're Ephraimite men. I mean, your churches are—they're—they're they're Sodom, and th- these are the kinds of things that uh, that, that we're doing to Christ. We're—we're we're treating Christ in the gospel like a second class wife. That's what a concubine is. Uh, someone who doesn't have kind of full privilege as a as a as a spouse. Um, so that's that's what we have now. We have we have elders who are acting like Jewish clerics in the first century. Um, okay, so in verse nine they mock Lot as a judge since he's a resident alien, right? He's not native, and uh, Sodom isn't his hometown. He's a foreigner. And they threaten to abuse him worse than the angels. And uh, one thing we can learn from this is that the enemies of God and God's people, they reject a righteous man no matter where he's from or what he says. Uh, Jesus says that a prophet is without honor in his own town, well, a lot is without honor in somebody else's town. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. They're going to hate you, and they're going to um, want to kill you. Um, and this is a blessing, right? This is, Jesus says, you know, you're blessed when people hate you, when people want to do all these kinds of things to you. Um, and uh, so just uh, that's kind of the negative side of that. Um, you're going to be hated because what you're saying is this fragrance of death to them. But for those who've been predestined unto life, that's going to be a fragrance of life. They're going to thank you for those things that you're saying, acting in this prophetic way, because um, you're, you're going to be this means of grace, really, to them, and those people will be saved. They'll hear what you're saying, and, and they'll, they'll be brought into the ark. They'll be exodus out of whatever situation uh, they're in. So the men are pressing hard against Lot, and we're intending to break down the door. Uh, we see in Judges 19 that the men surrounded the house and beat on the door, so there's all, there's references to that. And then uh, the men in Judges, the men in Judges 19 are placated by the Ephraimite tossing the concubine out. Um, otherwise, uh, they probably would have broken down the door and done what they they want. They had to give them something. They had to give the piranhas some kind of meat. Um, in Genesis 19. They intend to break down the door. They're pushing hard against it. But in verses 10 through 11, the angels save Lot and they kind of intervene in the supernatural way. The hands of the angels reach out and they save Lot. They bring them back into this temporary sanctuary, at least, of the home. They shut the door and, um, and they blind the men. They blind the men and the men, they can't find the door and they just give up. <laughs> And so um, something that I think is, I don't wanna make too much of this, uh, but I think something that is represented here in miniature is that um, uh, all through scripture, we see that God causes men to see and he causes men to be blind. And he gives, uh, there's this tension, there's this tug and pull between our own human responsibility and how much we're giving ourselves to these things, and then God's sovereignty and how much he gives us over to these things. Um, And that's a a mysterious kind of uh, uh, give and take or however you want to describe that. But we see throughout Scripture that uh, I think that the blinding of the men of Sodom illustrates this point for us kind of in a microcosm. Um, Because the men of Sodom, they've given themselves to kind of the the most extreme forms of perversity and sin. And then God blinds them. The messengers of God blinds them. So it's both there. Um, And we see, where do we see this? Where do we see this kind of uh, trajectory? Uh, Paul describes this in Romans 1, right? From the beginning of creation, Paul says that the men, they know who God is. But they don't give thanks to God. John Calvin says the first sin in that whole chain is ingratitude, right? They know who God is, but they didn't worship God or give him thanks. And therefore, Paul says in Romans 124, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. Verse 28, God gave them over to a debased mind. So Paul describes these, uh, these kinds of sins um, as similar sins of Sodom, right? Uh, men lusting after other men and, and there's the homosexuality aspect and that is a form of wrath that is God's judgment on people B- a blinding of them a giving them over to their their blindness and the homosexuality aspect is kind of this preliminary judgment before the eschatological judgment um, and if you if I mean if you listen to homosexuals who are honest um, uh it's a miserable lifestyle. I mean, if you listen to Milo Yiannopoulos uh, talk about the homosexual lifestyle, that world sounds like a, a, a hell. I mean, that's just sin in general. I'm not picking on homosexuals here; these are just sins in general. But these men, Paul describes as giving themselves over to blindness and an impenitent heart. Therefore, God gives them over to blindness and an impenitent heart. Um. And as such, they're storing up for themselves wrath and judgment on the day of judgment, like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, like the men of Sodom, they became blind and they couldn't find the door. So Israel, Israel becomes Sodom, as we mentioned before, in the time of judges, the time of the kings and in the time of the first century. And just as the messengers of God blinded the sinful men of Sodom, God blinds the sinful men of Israel which spiritually had become Sodom. In Revelations eleven eight, John says, the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Oh, where's that? That's Jerusalem. Where was Jesus crucified? That is Jerusalem. John says that it's Sodom. He's saying the people of God are Sodomites. And then in Romans 11, Paul says this about those people. Israel has not obtained what it seeks, But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded, just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Romans 11. Uh, Paul is quoting uh, from Deuteronomy and Isaiah there. Deuteronomy 29, Moses says to the Israelites, You've seen all all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. So just like the Jews there, they saw the miracles that Jesus did, the resurrection of Lazarus, the resurrection of Jesus himself. Moses is saying, you saw all that the Lord did in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive And eyes to see, and ears to hear, to this very day. So Moses there is making this appeal to the sovereignty of God and giving them the ability to have spiritual eyes to see, a heart to believe. Um, Hasn't been wasn't given to them yet. And, and Paul applies that to the Jews in the time of the first century. Isaiah says, for the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets. And he has covered your heads, namely the seers. Oh, he's talking about the leadership there has been blinded. He's blinded them from seeing. It's Isaiah 29. And then Jesus says in Matthew 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And I'm just, I'll end here with John 12, a kind of longer um, passage. John 12, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Right? Similar thing. This is just what the people of God, miracle after miracle after miracle, but they don't see this. But they did not believe him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has not believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw His glory and spoke of Him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers many believed in Him, But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. What's the sin there? It's the same sin that's happening in Romans 1. They're worshiping the creature rather than the creator. They wanted the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And we, our churches are filled with these kinds of men. They do not want the approval of God. They say it. They say all the right things, but they want the praise of men. They want the acceptance of men. And this is what we have to guard against because when we don't, we get, we're giving ourselves to blindness and then God gives us to even more blindness, blindness. And then we, we, we have judgment of uh, all kinds of perversity that we see in the streets. Now we see in our world now with homosexuality and all of this stuff. And these things are, they are symptoms. They are judgments. They are way far down the line. There's a spiritual Sodom that happens where it doesn't look like things are that bad. That's what conservative churches are now. They're spiritual Sodoms because they're not dealing specifically with the covenant breaking of divorce and remarriage. And what that fosters is actual Sodoms, which is what our uh, country, our nation has become. And if you are, a ruler of Israel, and that is your main project, writing really funny and quirky blogs against homosexuality day after day after day, you simply do not see what is going on. You are fighting minor skirmishes, and you have missed the real battle. This is you, you're you're demonstrating to the world that you do not understand the basic mechanics of how God has created the world. And so what we can take from all of this is that we have to be careful not to uh, give ourselves to this blindness, to this perversity, to all of these kinds of sins because once we start going down that path, God then gives us over to these things. And so we have to be vigilant in, pushing against those kinds of things let's pray the charge is this don't be a sodomite don't be an ephraimite and i'm not talking to the world here and i'm not even talking about homosexuality i'm talking about spiritual depravity and cowardice which gives into the demands of the crowd which gives into the demands of the people I'm talking to you, conservative Christians, to you prideful and arrogant Calvinists, to you prideful and arrogant Lutherans, to you effeminate and blind Anglicans, to you effeminate and worldly charismatics, all you tribes who have spiritually become Benjamites in Gibeah. God loves you. God wants to redeem you, but you need to repent of your sin. You need to repent of your sodomy, of your Ephraimite cowardice you have become Gibeah and you have given in to the demands of the people and you have turned over our Lord to be abused you have abused the gospel to preserve yourself stop God ordains men so start acting like one God saves men and so you need to start saving men I believe that many of you are willing to die for the faith. I believe that you have that kind of maturity in you. But are you willing to die in such a way that you actually don't die? Are you willing to resist the mob, to let the mob get you, uh, to put your social life on the cross, to put your job on the cross, your family on the altar? Are you willing to give up the security of these things, the comfort of these things? I don't think most of you are, but you can be, and you need to be, you need to listen to the messengers of God. And they're saying, get out. They're saying, leave Sodom because judgment is coming. Judgment that is real judgment. That is temporal. It's already here. It's already coming on your churches. We see it daily. So leave, leave or act as the prophet who will be martyred there. Uh, but what you can't do is continually give in to uh, what the, the uh, uh, apostatizing church is doing. You can't continually go along with what the people demand. So stop doing these things and go and die. Go and follow Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.